Let me talk you through the two most emotional, stressful months of my sales career. It's no big deal to call a CTO and tell I want to talk. You cannot stand on the sideline and basically wait until the dice rolls itself. It's never going to happen. I don't know if this is going to be on the record or off the record. It's almost like playing with cards, this job. Like, it's like you, you get given a hand of cards and like you have to do the best with what, what you have. Is Someone might have been watching, watching down on me. Me and Jack going into this, when, when he originally told me exactly the same, like, oh, you know, Jack, I've got this idea, you know, what about this? I just, my first thought was, my God, if no, I don't even care if anyone, like, listens to this, you know, if I take one key takeaway from every recording, I'll be such a better rap. This is No Big Deal, a sales podcast. Let's go, because I'm keen to hear about it. Go for it. We're really excited to welcome Charlie Beal from Cognizant onto the No Big Deal podcast, where I'm sure he has a big deal to walk through with us. As a bit of a background, Charlie is one of Cognizant's founding SDRs. If you've never heard of Cognizant, then they are a data provider, so they can give you, you know, mobile phone numbers, email addresses, all of which you can then use to make sure that you can, you know, generate more opportunities, close more deals. Now, as one of the founding SDRs of Cognizant, Charlie has then risen through the ranks to be a senior enterprise account executive. He's been there from five million up to 50 million ARR now in four years. He invests in SaaS. He's also from my hometown of Seven Oaks, and he's come to talk to us today about closing Cognizant's first ever seven-figure deal. Thanks for having me. Hell of an intro, that. Thanks, okay, what, what, what would your take on that be, Charlie, would you say it in the same way? Uh, all absolutely 100% truthful. You got it spot on, Jack. So, yeah. <laughs> well, Charlie, we're we're really happy to have you, mate. So thanks for joining us. I guess this first ever seven figure deal. It may may well be our first ever seven figure deal on on the podcast as well. But if not, then I forget. Please forgive me to other guests. But you're one of the very few people that we've met that have closed big deals like that. So we're keen to hear about it. And the way we usually start, maybe you could give us some insight into this. Is what we'd like to know is just about how this deal kicked off. Like when did you first realize that? Oh, we're in a deal here. Like there's something to be done here. I'm going to put some time and energy behind that. Do you remember that moment? Yeah, it was it's a bit of backstory to this. We, we'd we got our foot in the door with kind of like a smaller arm within this much larger organization. We'd signed them on a, on a relatively small package, you know, early last year. Didn't think too much of it. And then a few months into that, that new customer's relationship, we, we get an email referral come through into our inbox saying, Charlie, we'd like to introduce you to, to XYZ over here at, you know, overarching business big big name in the in the email header as they've they've heard the success that we've been having with with our current kind of package with you initially didn't think too much of it because i'm you know sure everyone in sales has had those scenarios where it's always a little bit good too good to be true so i wasn't getting too excited too early on but you know after a few initial meetings scoping out what they needed you know we very quickly you know understood that this could potentially be a, a relatively large opportunity for us and we should we should probably start dropping other little projects to focus mostly on this one so yeah that kind of came around sort of h2 of last year and and that was really when when it all really kicked off did they go into an rfp type scenario with you or what was your process after receiving that email so i've had some rfps in the past where it's been you know they send us hella big excel files you know it takes you weeks to get through them and they ask for all this information it wasn't like that at all. And maybe it was a bit of a blessing in disguise, but the organization that in question here, I wish I could tell you the name, but unfortunately I can't, but 
organization in question is, you know, we're not their first provider for what we offer them, right? They, they've got a lot of providers and, you know, one of the benefits of working with some of these large organizations and some of these really technical departments within it is that, you know, they are aware that there is no one provider that fits all and they had other solutions in there, but they were really struggling with a specific part of their, their data in their data lakes that they had, which, you know, fortunately Cognizant, you know, is, is very much focused on the, the European region, things like that. So we felt like it was a, a use case that we could certainly support. Their sort of approval process was more all driven by volumes. So how can they get the most amount of relevant data for these specific territories from all these different vendors, pull it into their systems and, and build this like master database. So it was more of a case of coming to us saying, right, look, we've got a few providers here, but we're aware of some of these gaps. Like we feel like you could plug these, here are the metrics that we need. These are the volumes that we're kind of looking for, like take this away, show us what you've got and, and we'll, you know, we'll measure that criteria and see whether it's going to be something that adds to our internal data set. So it was quite fortunate that it wasn't like a, a tee off between multiple vendors. Cause I'm sure we've all been there and those are the ones that y- you don't want. It was more as a case of they've come to us knowing there's a gap based on our previous relationship with them. We feel like you could, you could plug that. And it was more as a case of just validating that. So being very clear with what they're trying to see, what, what results they're trying to see uh, and ultimately showcase that to them uh, as best as possible. One of the things that we hear quite regularly in this scenario is that the buyer often has tons of power at this stage because they're like, this is what we want. Do you do it? And we're not going to give you much information about what else we want. And basically it doesn't, it's not always like a really open reciprocal relationship. Did you feel that in this instance, or did you feel confident that this was going to be kind of like a shared experience between the two? I think at first, definitely. Yeah. We felt that kind of approach. And, you know, I think one thing that I guess just comes with time is when being an AE is like knowing when you're being led down those rabbit holes and, and, you know, we've all been there where you you let them kind of push you down those rabbit holes and you get off the call and you go, oh God, like, why did I let them talk me down that approach? Or why did I let that conversation go as far as it should have? And, you know, I think just based on experience and, and having had a lot of those scenarios and, and probably, you know, cocked them up for lack of a better term, right, is, is we kind of were very clear cut from day one, like how we can help you and like what you're going to see from us that's going to be beneficial for you and like where we're at we're not right like we have it all the time at cognizant people coming to us for all these different data points where previously you know you get a bit of a hot head and you go yeah yeah yeah, we can do all of that don't worry about it we'll be we'll be the best thing for you when actually like experiences told me like really to just hone in on the areas that you know you're going to be very good at so that you're going into these rfps these proof of concept with things that are going to put your products, your software, like in the best light and not at the end of it go, right. Yeah, you did really well here, but these things that you said you could do really well at, you actually messed up on. So we had to kind of steer that conversation pretty early doors and and say to them, like, look, like these are the areas that we're going to be able to help you. These areas are are not cognizant, right? Like which ones are important, which ones are nice to have, which ones are absolutely essentials and kind of play on that as best as possible. So yeah, that was certainly a good learning curve of that deal, I think. How do you do that well? Like because this, this is something that I struggle with a lot. And maybe I'm asking this because I'm getting this is happening to me in a deal at the moment. It's like I'm really not in control and I'm trying to take back a little bit of the onus. The conversations t- often go down tangents about some minor part of our product, which is totally irrelevant, or we're being compared to something else, which I'm totally oblivious to. I don't know what they're comparing us to, but it seems as though I'm being led the conversation in that direction. And I'm trying to regain that control. And like we're a behemoth company like this as well. That's even harder because they've obviously got a criteria. So could you tell us a little bit about what you did that made it so that you were able to lead the conversations in the directions that you wanted to? Yeah, I think it comes down to, you know, 
as part of like a discovery process, not necessarily an initial discovery call or component, but in those early phases of any kind of, you know, early engagement is being very transparent with like getting out from the prospect, like exactly what their requirements are. Right. So clearly pinpointing what they're, what they're looking for. And then almost getting like a scoring mechanism to it, like which ones are actually that important and which ones are they just telling you for the sake of telling you, right? Like we've all been there as well. Like people would say, list off 10 different things that they're looking for when jumping on an initial call. But when you actually push them on which ones are really important, maybe it's actually the only two or three that really matter, really is going to solve the issue that they're trying to trying to solve, right? So I think it's a case of, you know, not jumping to conclusions and being, you know, transparent with them around, right, you've listed me 10 different things here, which ones are absolutely essential, which ones are just nice to have really at the end of the day, and whether, you know, it's a deal breaker if you don't have any of them. So then from early, early, early conversation, you've got what's important, what's a deal breaker, what's a nice to have, and then you can ultimately tailor your product and solution around that or qualify out, right? Getting to a no as fast as possible is just as helpful as getting to a yes at the end of the day in sales, right? So I think it's just pushing on, yeah, I guess in summary, I know I've rattled on there, but pushing on must-haves and, and nice-to-haves really, I think is a key takeaway for that. That's a really good point. I think in this scenario as well, Charlie, they were very focused on technical validation. What did you do outside of that to, you know, to make sure that Cognizant was something that was the company that they wanted to partner with? It's funny enough, actually, like this, this specific deal was the, the way they use our service is actually probably less than 5% of our customers use it. So like in very short summary, like most of Cognizant clients have us as like a user model where they just equip reps like with access to our platform that they just use as part of their day-to-day, -day, right? In very few instances, we have customers that don't do that. And they, they basically ingest data from us on mass, either through APIs or like secure file transfers. And we basically just send them like a big data dump and then they put it in on their end. And this was one of those scenarios. And it's something at Cognizant that you, you don't really come up against when you're first becoming an A, especially if you're selling to commercial. So luckily for me, I'd come up in a few scenarios of these before, admittedly lost a few of these deals because I didn't know whether that was something we could even do. It's not really something that we get trained on at Cognizant because it's not a massive you know, driver of, of you know, sales for us. But thankfully, I'd come up in against these scenarios in the past where you know, I'd come off a call being like, what the hell are they talking about? What the hell is an S3 transfer? What the hell is this? What the hell is that? So I was fortunate to be able to pick on that pretty early days and kind of at least sound like I knew what I was talking about, as opposed to saying, oh, I'm not sure whether we can support this, which in hindsight, I'm glad, you know, I didn't go down that route because I do think back on that a lot, thinking if I hadn't had all these mess ups in the past of some of these deals that I had to go away and get confirmation on whether we could do this or can't, can't do it, I probably would have early doors shut down this, this deal and said, look, I, we can't support the, the use case that you're looking for. But luckily, I'd come up against them a few times in the past. Yeah, bingo. I love that because we were always we were always asking, like, you must have messed this up previously in order to have got it right this time around. And so you know the language, you know the use case, you know the difficulties. Funnily enough, the same thing happened at our company last year. One of our friends, Kieran, we, we just assumed that you couldn't sell to this certain type of business. Everybody just said, oh, no, you can't do it. It's too complicated. And one of the biggest customers in the UK, one of the biggest companies in the UK who do that came to us and said, can you do it? And I was like, um, uh, Kieran, you're an idiot. You're wasting your time, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then he closed it for the biggest deal that we've closed in the commercial team. Yeah, I ever. think, I think like, and I've, I've, I was really lucky to speak at like one of the sales confidence events that I'm sure like we've all been to. Anyone like that is like in and around London probably has heard of sales confidence. And like something that like I spoke about there and I like, I really push on like new AEs, especially at Cognizant is, 
like really get into the product as much as you can. Like we all sell different products of different technical ability, but I think if you can become like your own product specialist, like in inside your company, it it's going to accelerate your growth as an AE, especially so much faster than having to like wait for the scenarios that you're unsure of either, you know, potentially mess them up or, you know, prolong sales cycles, or even just kind of disqualify things you're not sure about just through to like lack of product knowledge. Like I would like to think that like for the Cognizant, for like what we sell and like in that space and in that industry, like I, I know pretty much any question that's going to come my, come my way around a product and like integrations and things like that. And I think that's been a massive driver of like, you know, being able to work slightly more complex deals, you know, speed them up as well. Like we always need support from other teams, but if you can do a lot of that yourself in the early phases of, of, of a sales cycle, I think it just sets a deal off on a, on a much greater trajectory. So yeah, being like a, a product product specialist, I think is a huge, huge part of being a good AE especially in these day and ages as well. Yeah, especially if you're selling to the commercial type segment and you're not supported by sales engineers, it adds a lot of credibility if you know a lot of things about, you know, the product and how it supports specific personas. Yeah. You know, we've talked about, you know, you learning from previous ones to get to this point. To go back to the deal, you you do the validation test and how well does that go and what happened after? So... Yeah. So the main sort of like validation for this specific deal was lots around like volumes of contacts and and records in like given targets, right? They had a clear list of sectors, locations that they were trying to plug these gaps in. And, you know, the, the main sort of part of that validation was understanding what data we had available to them, what were the right data points, what were going to be additional, et cetera. And that went on for, you know, a good couple of months, back and forth, back and forth, reviewing that. And we kind of got to the end where things have been ticking over pretty nicely. We'd had a few hiccups on some of the data accounts that we ran, but we managed to manage to correct them. And we went through this review call and they were looking through the volumes that we had. And for argument's sake, right, let's say a, a big volume of contacts in this scenario that we were accustomed to would be like 500,000, just for argument's sake, right? If, if we came with a call, Someone said, rather than 500,000 records, like we'd come off that thinking, great, like this is going to be a really good opportunity worth our time. We're running through the view call and they go, yeah, so we're thinking it's starting at around 10 million. And I remember just being sat on the call. I probably went bright red, but I managed to keep a straight face at the time. And I had my VP on all these calls. He was kind of helped working the deal with me from like, a, you know, just keeping someone's in the call. And they ran through a bit more about the requirements, the timelines, everything. And we get off the call and I then ring my boss on his phone or Slack. I can't even remember what it was at the time. And he picks up the phone and he goes, holy F, like this is actually going to be quite a big deal. And that was this like eureka moment where we thought, oh my God, this could actually be as big as we think it could be because I'm sure anyone listening to this has had those scenarios where they come off a first call and they think it's going to be the biggest deal in history. And then two months down the line, you're close losing it for some random reason that you never foresee coming, right? I I had to think this was going to be the same until we had this moment. So yeah, that was like an absolute eureka moment coming off that call and me and my VP sitting down thinking, holy shit, this could be actually as big as we think it might. The funny bit there is kind of trying to keep the straight face on the conversation as well. You're like, yeah, actually, that's a normal amount. Yeah, that seems that's going to be a relatively average deal for us. Yeah, Uh, That was certainly the talk track we went. We were kind of looking thinking, yeah. Pretend, pretend like this is nothing. But in the back of our heads, we're like, "Holy, holy, how, 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 how are we going to do this?" 
Right, so the temperature in the kitchen turns up after that, I assume. And and, yeah. and unfortunately, we all know that this happens. Everybody at the business that you work at starts to have eyes on you at this point. All of a sudden, you're getting emails from like the CFO. You're like, okay, cool. This is a bit worrying. So what happened from there on out? This is, assume, I'm assuming this is where like the SWAT, SWAT team comes in and you get support from the rest of the, the business more so than you usually would. But tell us a little bit about what, what happened from here on. Yeah, I've got, I've got some more practical stuff. And I've also got quite a funny story for this, actually, because after this call you're right you know me and my vp sit down we're creating slack channels with everyone right we've got vps of data you know ceos legal team all getting pulled in at this point because we're like right we need absolutely everyone to help us out and you know obviously like any large deal it doesn't it doesn't work without all the other departments helping you out so like yeah massive credit and and shout out to to that teams because we couldn't have done it without but we start pulling everyone in from like a legal standpoint because we knew that for this it's gonna it's gonna have to go against the usual sort of scenarios of getting legal approvals and and that kind of stuff. Data as well, right? That given like how they wanted to take the data off our hands was 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 not the norm. So we had to pull in there. But quite a funny story is is you know I had tried my best to keep this deal totally under the radar to the point of in Salesforce I'd forecasted this deal at fifty k or something the whole time, and I hadn't put any inkling of like. The, the volume of it, the ARR, anything. The only person that really knew about it was my VP and a couple of people in data that we needed to help out with it. The true value of this deal, because like, like with anything, right? You don't want, you don't want other AEs catching wind of a seven-figure deal flying around because they'll be on your case asking all these kinds of questions. I still don't to this day know how, but my CEO, James, finds out. And along the period of this deal kind of coming to like the closing ends, like at this point, we were in like legal phases, which were pretty you know, pretty touch and go at one point, but he gets wind of this. And again, around this sort of time, we're going through like a funding round. So James, my CEO, thinks it's a good idea to announce to the company and the investors that we've got our first ever seven figure deal coming in, obviously to like show off to these new investors that, you know, yeah, we've got the seven figure deal coming in, like, come on, sign up, give us your, give us all your cash. And I'm sat there and I'm like, James, we are so far away from signing this deal. Like, and I went bright red. I was like, I cannot believe you've just done that. The whole company knows about it now. All the AEs are like, where's this come from? SDRs are like, oh my God, Charlie, this is amazing. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm sat there thinking this could so easily go tits up. You've got no idea. And that was that was the moment where I thought, holy hell, I've actually got to close this one out now. I can't hide. What was your anxiety like through that, knowing that everyone knew? Honestly, I, I wasn't sleeping well at all. Like, I wasn't too bad up until this point because I felt like I had everything under control. Like, everything was, like, moving in the right direction. It was, like, trust the process. Things are working well. But then once you had the, the added pressure of quite literally your CEO saying to investors that you've basically signed the first ever seven-figure deal, that was, like... Yeah, I, I was not sleeping well. I remember working. I was like, on, I remember I was on a call with one of our legal reps in the US on Boxing Day because we had something come through, and I was like, we have to get this done now, otherwise I'm not going to be able to sleep at night. So I remember like dipping out of like a family Christmas party to go jump on a call on Boxing Day to try and get it out of the way so I could forget about it because my anxiety was just like completely through the roof. It was horrible. I've been there as well, and it's like you're laying there in bed, you're kind of asleep, half not asleep, and you're like, pop you something, MSA. But yeah, data processing agreement. I was I was waking up. I was waking up in the middle of the night thinking of something that I hadn't thought about the night before, and like getting up at like one two o'clock, going to like where my desk is in my flat, and like writing on the note, or sometimes even getting on my laptop and writing a thing. And I'd never done that before. I was always very much like 
shut the laptop, go to bed. Like it can wait for tomorrow. But I'd wake up in the middle of the night thinking of things that I had to go back to the next day and like writing them down. And and yeah, it was it was not a good place. I have that regardless of deal size. I like I really struggle to be honest with the anxiety if I've not completed my tasks for that day. You know, like if my inbox is still sitting there with like something that I need to do, like I struggle to be able to switch off unless I do it. At what point did you get okay? We're going to do this. Let's go into legal process and then yeah, talk to us about that. So we'd we'd run all like the data count stuff, the validation exercises, and once we'd like you know really really shown them that you know. Taking on Cognizant is going to give them, you know, you know, additional volumes in their target regions with the data points that they need of, of the right quality. You know, they were very quick and transparent with us being like, look, like we're going to go ahead with this. You know, you know, we, we want to get into the next stage, albeit legal for this. But deal was like a beast that I've never come up against before. Like I've been I've been stuck in like six month legal process in the past, like red lines, red lines. You're just not making any progress. But for this specific deal, like they have a very clear cut way of working, which is you sign our MSA no edits allowed, like no red lines, no changes. And then within that MSA, we can have like little subcontracts depending on the deal that you've got. And it was, I'd never been in a scenario like this. So that was when we really needed like all of our legal team to like pull in. And like, we even got to a point where we're pulling like our external lawyers and things like that to make sure that we could actually sign off the MSA that they were asking us to for like insurance reasons, like all these other bits and bobs that we just like never come up against. And then and then it was like a subcontract within that. It was it was like nothing. It was all a complete new learning curve for me. Like in hindsight, it probably took way longer than it needed to because we just never done a scenario like this before. But you know that's why you've got like people in legal that know what they're doing, and we don't have to go through that for that period on behalf of them. So yeah, that was that was a learning curve. I was going to say on that, you know, paper process seems to be like the big sticking point for sales reps where we're like trying our hardest to like forecast it. And I know from speaking to you before, like this eventually you were talking about doing even like red lines on Boxing Day. And I know this, you'd forecast it for your financial year to finish in December, but this went into January. Tell me about like how you felt, you know, the pressure that you were under, and you know, what happened? I think, so the the pressure that we, we looking back on it at the time, we were gunning for December. Like we wanted it for the end of year. Like I wanted it to finish the end of year strong and like absolutely annihilate my target. You know, we wanted it for the reasons my CEO shouted me out for and all that kind of stuff to actually put them to bed and I could, you know, have a decent night's sleep. And we were working like all through the Christmas break. Like I'm pretty sure we had red lines getting sent back on like Christmas Eve and and all that kind of stuff to try and get it done. And then it got to a point around Boxing Day or the day after that we found out, and this is again, like, a, you know, something that we can learn from a deal, but the approval process on their end was something like I'd never experienced to cut a long story short. I, I don't know what it's like with you guys. Sometimes on contracts, you've got like one signature, maybe sometimes two, if they've got like joint, joint signatures. All right. For this contract, they needed nine different signatures on it for it to finally get sent back to us and, and get the green light. And two of those nine people were on holiday between the Christmas and the new year break. And I found that out on like the, maybe the 28th or something in December. So I sat there and I'm like, oh, do I tell my CEO? Do I tell my VP? Do I just tell them now that this isn't going to happen in December? Or do I just let them just, just let it wait and hope that they just don't realize come January 1st and they're just like, yeah, don't worry about it. But I was like, no, I need to tell him. So I, I messaged my CEO, I messaged my VP, been like, look, I've just heard that two of these nine approval people that are going to sign the contract aren't in there on holiday. 
And James will see comes back to me and goes, oh, don't worry about it. It's probably better that it falls in in January anyway for us. And I'm like, what? I'm like, okay, so after all this, you're saying as a business, actually better if this comes in in January. He was like, yeah, don't worry about it. Just make sure you've still got it under control. I was like, okay, happy days. So if it falls into January, I actually miss my target for the year by 1%. So I end the year on 99%. And then, but this deal landing in January means I pretty much did my whole yearly target in the first week of January. So in hindsight, I'm glad it worked out the way it did because it's kicked off this year on a very good foot, you know, takes not takes the pressure off because like as salespeople, you just want to keep closing deals and, and you know, trying to make as much money as you can. But it's certainly kind of deep breath start of the year, especially like the market. It's hard to sell out there right now. Like you don't want to be chasing your tail for target as 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 much as possible. So yeah, it, it worked out for the best. But at the time I was I thought I was going to lose my job. Do you know what I find really interesting about that is earlier on when we were talking about the technical, being a technical expert on your products and having gone through these more difficult deals in the past and having lost them meant that this time around when these guys came to you and said like, we've got this different use case, can you help us with it? You were best place to help. There's probably some enterprise reps out there right now who are like, how did you not know that it needed nine signatures and now how did you not know two of them weren't there and you're and this and probably the answer is probably because it's never happened to you before you've never been in that scenario where there's nine signatories before a one yeah. one bit one contract and it's not until everyone can tell you oh by the way check how many people need to sign it and make sure they're all there and you're like yeah 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 yeah. it's not until there's a million dollars on the line that you really learned that lesson yeah well again it's like I, I don't know i don't know about you guys but my whole LinkedIn feed at the moment is just like multi-thread, multi-thread, multi-thread. Like it's like the new hot topic thing, right? And rightly so, because, you know, it's harder than ever to close deals at the moment, right? Everyone, every department's getting like stuck into deals before you can get it signed off more than ever, right? And like here, I don't, I'm sure you guys are saying, right? But here at Cognizant, like we're, we're really like hammering down on multi-threading, you know, even to the point of like, we've got all the fields in, in Salesforce, like picking it all up, right? We're signing up to like all these different like med pick and all that kind of stuff to to really like upskill us and, and really get it on. And it seems like such a simple concept, right? Just getting more people looped into the deals, right? But it's 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 never that simple as we all know, right? It's it doesn't it's never as easy as as it sounds to just get people looped in. And this is one of those scenarios where I look back and go, why didn't I just pick up the phone and ring that person that I knew was helping out on the contract and actually just ask them, what does the process from here look like? I, I relied so much on, let's just say champion, because he was, right? And it was a massive driver behind getting the deal. But I almost put a little bit too much faith in him. Like when I, like when I pushed him on like, what's the sign of process? It was like, right, MSA this, you know, back and forth your order form to us, we'll redline it. It will go to this person that looks after the contract. Like I even had a name of the someone of the person on their end that looks after the contract and the approval process. And then it goes for sign off. And there's me thinking one person, maybe even, I don't know, X man at the top CEO is just going to come in and sign this off and, and happy days, Bob's your uncle. And then I get it, the news on like the 28th of December or whatever that, yeah, there's nine people involved in this chain of sign off and two of them on holiday. And I look back and I go, if I had picked up the phone and called either of them two people, either my champion or the guy looking after the contract and just really pushed on what that process looked like, I would have known that way earlier. So yeah, lesson learned is don't just assume that the sign-off process is one person, especially when it's a pretty sizable chunk of cash that they're sending out. So yeah, yeah, get, get answers early doors. 
That's a good takeaway just to be, you know, I think we all get a bit happy ears with our champion and we don't want to upset them and we don't want to like go around them. And we think, we hope that, yeah, don't worry. They've told me they know all the answers. Yeah. Like sometimes it's good to deal more. And do you know what's quite good? It's not normally we get in the podcast where we've actually got to the end and we can go back to the deal and look at it in hindsight. Now knowing, you know, the end we've talked about what lessons you like learn and got you to win this one. What was your favorite moment? Favorite moment. I know it's always spoke, in the chase normally. Yeah. We, we, I mean, we spoke about that kind of eureka moment where we came off the call and, and, you know, me and my VP were like, holy hell, this is, this could actually be as big as we think it is. That was, that was one that I remember, but honestly, given what happened with like announcing it to the whole business and the investors around it coming in and the pressure that, that I put on myself as well, right. From that process, it, it has to be getting a signed contract through your inbox from, from this company, knowing that you'd actually done it. And I remember it, it was, it was like a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And it was like, from my main point of contact there, subject line signed contract. And I think I like started shaking. Like it was one of those moments where I would have gone like bright red, I started shaking. And we've got this like software at Cognizant that scans every attachment and it takes ages to get through a document to scan it. So I've got this email saying signed contract with this like loading thing on the attachments for like 10 minutes. And then eventually you get this like beep noise and it comes through. I opened it and I was like, holy hell, we've done it. It's actually in. And that's, that's got to be the favorite moment. Cause honestly, I, I was, yeah, as I say, I wasn't sleeping at all for a lot of part of this last like two months of this deal. <laughs> Sure, well, there is only one correct answer to the question that Jack just asked. It, that is the correct answer. So when the thing is signed. Imagine if the guy had completely trolled you as well. Signed contracts is just a picture of him. Like. <laughs> oh God. I would have I would have I would have left left the business and gone found employment completely elsewhere. Cause yeah, I, don't think I would yeah. be able to live another day after all the expectation put on from from that one. But just got- just on the on your CEO announcing it to the business, do you ever look back on it and think that he did that on purpose just to try and put the pressure on you to make sure the thing happened? Honestly, no. I think they did it exactly for the reasons that I think were given the investors that were that were around. But that's one for me to ask him. I'll ask him next time I see him. But yeah, I think at the time, I think he was just, you know, there was I understand why he did it. I think he was with with investors, you know, he needed something to really dangle the carrot in front of this like really big. I think I think I get it. Oh yeah, sorry, it glitched for a second there. Okay, and then one one thing that is a general theme that we tend to talk about quite a bit, Charlie, and maybe you can tell us if this impacted this deal at all or not. But we tend to find that with these big deals, especially these life changing ones, or like the first deal that gets you over seven figures or something, there's often a little bit of luck involved. Was there any of that involved in this one that you look back on? You think, oh, that was the 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 stars aligned for me there? Yeah, definitely. I think first of all with you know, the nature of the deal coming around, like coming through this existing relationship we had, but it still being a, a net new deal that it fell into my lap, right? Like, you know, that, that certainly was like stars aligned, right? You know, I worked really hard on signing this tiny little arm of, of the business. There was a fair argument to say that that should sit with account managers, but given the completely net new nature of the contract, the agreement, the MSA, it's, it's sat with new business. I think that was, yeah, the stars aligned for me a little bit on that one. And, you know, it allowed me to leverage some of that previous relationship because obviously these guys are getting feedback saying that, look, we're already using Cognizant, the, the data's great, we're really enjoying it. That kind of removed that element of uncertainty with this, this opportunity. They already were like aware of the quality with us. It was more just validating that what they were after we could we could provide. So I do think the stars align there. Yeah, I, I think that would probably be the main one, right? You, you make your own luck in sales. I'm a big believer of that because like just as many wins, I've had 20 times losses. So um, big time. Yeah, I think that'll probably be the kicking point. But yeah, I think I'm a I'm I am actually a massive believer in that, just kind of sticking to a process and you make your own luck. So 
Yeah. We'll round off with our quick fire questions. What sales skill do you think makes you great? I'd like to think of a probably pretty obvious one, but around like communication skills, but something that maybe this is just from selling Cognizant for four years, right? That you and you know, you get used to selling a specific product. But I think I would I would like to think anyway that I'm good at deciphering lots of information and picking out the important bits that are relevant for you know a sales a sales process with cognizant right like i'm sure you guys get it as well you jump on an initial discovery call and you just get blurted out all this information from a prospect around what they're looking for what they want all this kind of stuff and and majority of it is absolutely irrelevant for your service and what you're selling them but there's a specific part of what they said that is absolute you know nail on the head for you to pick up on and if you can pick up on that specific point and and drill deeper into that you know you're going to uncover a lot of issues a lot of pains that your your service or solution can solve so I think kind of, you know, deciphering a lot of information and really picking out the relevant pieces that are going to be relevant for your software and and really drilling down into them and going layer, 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 layer into that until you've got a really clear cut issue that that you can solve and, and they're aware of that issue, right? That's probably the biggest thing as well. So yeah, I think deciphering a lot of a lot of information is a key one. And I guess that comes down to like listening skills and and you know, yeah, those, those kinds of soft skills there, I would say. And and last of all, what is your favorite sales memory honestly it was probably the like the first deal i ever closed in as as an ae we we used to have an office in voxel here at cognizant like pre-covid and you know there was like four of us aes five maybe six maximum at the time i just got promoted you know it'd been a week or two as an ae hadn't hadn't closed anything just yet and you know get that get that first contract in i think at the time we sold three monthly rolling packages at about 300 pounds a month and i think i signed like a six month deal on like 500 pounds or something like this and i remember just being absolutely elated that i'd managed to get my first panda doc sent back with a signature on it and first first commission on the spreadsheet it was good it was a very good feeling <laughs> i like the fact of the sort of it's juxtaposition the funny word that you know, your favorite sales memory is you selling a 600 pound deal and we've just spent the previous 30 minutes discussing you seven selling a seven figure deal. You probably didn't have the anxiety with this hundred pound one that you did with the one we've talked about. Probably, probably not, but it was, it probably gave me more of a buzz at the end of it, I would say, because it was just the first one. But yeah, that was, that's one that sticks out for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it and looking forward to posting this to our listeners. Thanks for having me guys.